The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Jonathan Brower. The name of my show is Human Behavior, What a Trip. And we're going to have a wonderful trip today. My guest is Debbie Danowski, and she's written a wonderful book entitled Why Can't My Child Stop Eating? And Debbie, uh, what's the uh, second half of your, what's the subtitle of your book? A Guide to Helping Your Child Overcome Emotional Eating. I see. So basically, the problem is emotional eating, yes. And uh, before we get into the specifics of what you've written about, what I'd like to do with uh, my guests, if it's okay with you, is you can give us all um, a brief overview of uh, you growing up and what kind of kid you were and what kind of family you were in, sure. and things like that. Can we do that for about 90 seconds or so? Absolutely. Excellent. Um, the, I was an overweight child. My parents were overweight, and I was absolutely miserable. I... You know, during my really young years, I was overweight, and I was always the heaviest kid in the class, and there weren't other kids who were overweight. Uh-huh. I was teased. I was bullied. I was, you know, things that would never have been allowed today. Yes. But then it, no one really knew, and my parents were overweight, and food was love, and everything was about how much food you could eat. Yes. And um, it was very emotional, eating and food. It was how we bonded. It was... Everything. Yeah. So were you overweight as a baby? I actually was a big baby. I was like nine pounds, but I was not overweight when I was actually, when I was born that minute. <laughs> yeah, good. And at what age were you aware of being overweight? Probably as early as I can remember, even before starting school, because I always had to get clothes that were not normal sizes for my age. Uh-huh. So I'd say even before school, but really once I got into school, it was very, very obvious. Yes. And uh, well, like in the sixth grade, were you 40 pounds overweight or five or 20 pounds overweight? What roughly do you think you were? I think I was closer to 40 pounds overweight because in sixth grade, that was when it really, you know, I, I think probably before then I was maybe 10, 15, and then 20, and then by the time sixth grade came around, I think I was up to about 40 pounds overweight. I see. And then at, when you were in high school, were you still like 40 pounds overweight or were you get, getting heavier as the years went on? Oh, no, I, I got much heavier. I was probably in high school, I'd say, at least 100 pounds overweight, if not 150. Wow. And I, that, my, 
And at your zenith, how heavy did you get? I was just going to say my top weight was 328 pounds. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then um, currently you are at a better weight? Yes. I, I actually have lost more than half of my body weight. Good for you. Yes. I, I had to go away, and I have a physical addiction to sugar and flour as well as an emotional one. Uh-huh. But that didn't happen until I got older, which is what I'm trying to help parents with their children so that they understand that the emotions come first and then you kind of trigger the physical addiction. Yes. So um, as a child, you were, uh, you were like the um, weird kid? Yes. According to the other kids. Yeah. And did any of your teachers or um, adults other than your parents uh, did they do anything to try to help you um, regarding your weight? Well, I'm not really, I, I don't know. I think they more tried to protect me at that point. Teachers didn't cross the, those kinds of lines, and they didn't really say anything. But when I was teased, they would kind of try to help out a little bit, I think. Not yeah. always, but sometimes. But there really was no, I mean... Even my parents tried to help me because they wanted to lose weight and they wanted me to lose weight, but it just uh-huh. didn't work. Did you guys have a dog as a kid? Yes. And you, did you take the dog walking every day? No, we had a fenced-in yard. Oh, but, well, we can have a fenced-in yard and still walk the dog somewhere. Yeah, no, no, we did, we did not. I see. So there was a, some kind of demarcation about not... Giving the dog and yourselves more uh, more um, exercise. Right, exercise yeah. is not a part of our family. It really our our social gatherings and everything mostly centered around food. Exercise is not in our family. Yeah, and um, as you have lost weight, have your parents also lost weight? No, unfortunately, both my parents are no longer alive. They both died of um, diseases related to their obesity. My father had um, he he had heart trouble, and my mother she same thing had heart trouble, and they were both at least two hundred pounds overweight when they died. Oh my! How old were they when they died? Very young. My mother was sixty six, and my father was sixty nine. And how many years ago was that? My mother died about eight years ago, and my father about. Um, Five years ago. I see. And do you have any siblings? Yes, I have a brother and a sister. And were they overweight? Slightly, but not not like I, nothing like I was. I see. And um, when you were a child, did you ever talk to your your siblings about your dilemma? No, it was supposed to, in my mind. It was this hidden shameful thing that I would never have talked about. Oh my, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. And what and what what happened to help you at some point be willing to talk about it with people and trying to find ways to uh, improve your life? Well, it didn't happen until I was actually away at graduate school, and I got so miserable that I went to see a therapist, and she asked me, "What did what do I do? What did I do to deal with my emotions?" Yes, and I said, "Oh, I write about them." Uh-huh. That's how much denial I was in. And then she looked at me and she said, well, do you ever eat over them? And that kind of broke the denial of, yeah, I, I do. And then it well, started this. I lost one thing. You said you eat over them? Yes. She asked me, did I eat over them? My feelings. 
Oh, I see. Eating your fillings. Mm-hmm. I get you. And then uh, did she end up being of some help to you? Yes. She actually referred me to another. Um, there was a limited number of therapy sessions that you could do from the school, and then she referred me to someone else, and then I ended up actually in a treatment center along with drug and drug addicts and alcoholics because they treat the physical addiction to food the same, which has since closed. Yes. And um, during all this time, did you have any problems with your insulin? I was never really tested for anything. I don't know that I did. I was still, I was 23 years old when I went, so I was still kind of young, and I think I was definitely heading in that direction. Yes. But I think I was just kind of at the point where it could have gotten really bad. Uh huh. Because my father was diabetic, and it ran, definitely ran in my family. Yes. Was he the only person in your family who was a diabetic? As far as you know. No, uh, I have an uncle, and I think my grandfather was too. It, but your mom wasn't diabetic. No, she was not. It's very interesting how that works. How some people can be very overweight. And not be a diabetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yes. So uh, what prompted you to write this particular book? It was the fact that I wanted to help other children so that they didn't go through what I went through. Was, you know, obviously I'm writing to their parents but yes. when I write the book, but I wanted them to get help because my parents really just never knew what to do or how to help me. Yes. And I just really wanted to spare children who are overweight the kind of pain yes. that I went through. How long has your book been available for people to read? It just came out last week. Oh, wow. So it's brand new. Yes, it is. So hopefully your work and your book will can be quite helpful for a lot of people. That's what I'm hoping. Yes, well, I hope so, too. Thank you. You're welcome. So... Um, what are some of the more specific or larger kinds of um, issues we could look at regarding why my child can't why why can't my child stop eating? I imagine there are certain major uh, parts of it. Yes, there there absolutely. I think the biggest thing is let's everyone look at how we use food in our lives. Uh-huh. We celebrate with food, we we and, and we look at the ads that we see or the you know, we're encouraged to eat to make us happy, to relax us, to Yes. You know, food is really just to nourish our bodies. And we have gotten so far away from that as a society yes. that I think that the main point of my book is let's just take a second and think about what we're doing and what we're hearing and what we're seeing. Yes. Children are seeing ads every day, you know, three three and four ads a day that are encouraging them to eat fast food and to eat junk food and to, oh, yeah. it's, you know, and it's, after a while it just sinks in and it's just you become immune to it and don't really realize what's going on. Yes. So did you interview kids and, and their parents? Uh, a few of them, yes, I did. But mostly it's it's really from my, my research is, as a, um, I'm an associate professor of communication and media studies at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield. And what state is what state is that in? Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. 
And um, my research has, is in the advertising field, so I was kind of already knew about that. So I did interview some children, but not very many, because most of it was coming at, the, at it from this is what you're being, you know, told, and, and this is how you're being manipulated. Yes. And so that I kind of came at it from a different point of view. Uh-huh. So more specifically, what is your point of view? My point of view is to actually look at all the different aspects of our culture and what we do with food and, and say, you know, this is part of a big part of why our children are so overweight because yes. it's very, very difficult for a parent to, to, you know, try to restrict a child or to try to not make the food they want available because there's a lot of guilt feelings that are, you know, we're told that it's good that our, you know, our parents' parents grew up in a time when there wasn't enough food and those behaviors were kind of passed down where, you know, okay, so if your child looks healthy and has a lot to eat, then you're doing good. Yeah. But it's kind of backfired on us now. Yeah. And I would imagine, well, I'm not imagine, I know that some people um, use food to push down a lot of feelings and impulses that they want to avoid. Absolutely. Yeah. And people get a high from eating in the same way that they do from, you know, from having a drink or whatever other thing that they do. There's a little high like when you have that taste and that sweet taste or the salty taste. Yeah. And it makes them feel better. Yeah. So someone like me, I'm very thin and very active. Mm-hmm. And um, I enjoy eating food. And a lot of it, well, all, this, all this that I eat is healthy. And some of it tastes exquisite, like a nectarine mm-hmm. <laughs> is one of the, my biggest pleasures of eating. Okay. But um, for some reasons, well, not, not only for some reasons, I, I never wanted to be overweight because mm-hmm. I wanted to be an athlete. And so for me, it was an easy thing to do. But obviously, for people who are grossly overweight, it's a whole other story. Absolutely. Well, and I think that the foods that they're being given aren't healthy foods at all, and it's just much quicker and easier if you can, yes. you know, get something that's already made and there's lots of, you know, sugar in it, and it's yeah. a different mindset from, you know, it sounds like what you have. Yeah. So um, it would seem to me that parents who are overweight or not overweight but who have overweight children, if they're not helping them, they're hurting them. Yes, but not intentionally. I don't believe that oh, any... Oh, well, I agree. That they're not doing it out of uh, any kind of... Uh, they're, not, they're not trying to be cruel. I'm no. not saying that at all. But somehow their awareness or their denial about what's happening is so easily bolstered for them. Well, it's very ingrained because it's kind of one of those things that's been passed down yeah. from generation to generation that you don't, unless you really think about it, you just don't notice it. Yes. And then, um, oh, well, I'm going to bring out one one uh, idea here. So Sir Winston Churchill, who was uh, really important in the in World War II era, mm-hmm. he was uh, morbidly obese, he was an alcoholic, and he smoked cigars all day long. Mm-hmm. And he lived to be 95. Mm-hmm. So um, 
for him, it didn't seem to be a big problem. And he lived to be old. Well, we don't really know, though. We don't know his, his mindset. How, how happy was he? How satisfied was he with his life? Oh, he also was depressed quite a bit. Yeah, well, see, then that to me says, okay, he lived till he was 95, but what was the quality of his life? So it did matter. Yeah. Yes. So when you're working with or talking to people who are heavy, what kinds of things do you say to them that you think might be useful? I think probably one of the most useful things is to really write, write about, you know, how, what, what food is to you, what is your, you know, how are you using it, when do you eat, try to notice what you're feeling before you eat, you know, it all starts with awareness. Yes. And that awareness doesn't just come, and, and sometimes it comes from talking, but mostly it's when it's you and, and, and your piece of paper there sitting there writing, it really makes you kind of get in touch with yourself and your life. Yes. And did you do that at some point? Oh, you? Absolutely. And then how old, how old were you when you started doing that? Oh, it wasn't until I got into, into treatment that I really used writing in that way. I would write, but I would write stories and things like that or articles, but never about myself, never journal writing until I got into treatment, and they yeah. suggested that. I see. It made all the difference in the world because I never really was aware of what I was doing. Yeah. So uh, how many years ago did you start being aware of this and start writing about it? Um, it'll be 24 years in July. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And you're how old now? I am going to be 48, so it's half my life. Oh, I see. We're coming up to um, a commercial break for about 90 seconds or so. So we'll, we'll stop for a moment and we'll have the uh, commercial and we'll come back, okay? Okay, thanks. Okay. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield Total Access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. 
Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower, back with my guest, Debbie Danowski. Debbie's written a great book. It's called, Why Can't My Child Stop Eating? And then the subtitle, you say it, Debbie, it's longer than I can write. <laughs> it's, um, it's called, A Guide to Helping Your Child Overcome Emotional Eating, Overeating. Oh. Okay, fine. And uh, two things. Would you like people to know your phone number and or your email address if they want to contact you? Um, they can contact me through my website, debbiedanowski.com. Debbie? D-E-B-V-I-E. Two B's. Okay, Debbie and then Danowski, D-E-N-O-W. D-A-N-O-W-S-K-I dot com. Wait, wait, wait. D-E-N-O. D-A-N. Oh, Dan. Dan. D-A-N-O-W. O-W-S-K-I.com. S-K-I.com. Okay, so for those of you who are listening who want to know more about what Debbie does regarding her writing about children who can't stop eating, go just go to Debbie Danowski, D-A-N-O-W-S-K-I.com. Right. Excellent. Sure. Okay, so um, back to what we were talking about. Um, you, you, you've made a list of some questions which we can use. One is the first question here is: uh, Child obesity has gotten a lot of attention lately. What makes your book different from the others? My book talks about rather than give food plans or exercise tips, which you know there's there's a little bit of suggestions about those things, but my book specifically talks about the emotional overeating in children and. I've never seen a book that does that before. It doesn't really tie in looking at society and what we're being told and how our child, how this is making our children overweight. So I'm, I'm inferring that what you're talking about is you would hope that these people would start to be in touch with their emotions. Right. And, the, and of course, our emotions can only be inside our body. Right. It can't be anywhere else. Right. So the emotions, in a, in a sense, it's almost like a war. Do we let ourselves have our emotions regarding our emotions, including the emotions we have about being overweight? Or are we going to um, stomp down the emotions and just keep being heavy? Yeah. And your sure. position is let's, let's let our emotional experiences be heard and understood by ourselves. Absolutely, because no, you know, no one's ever really died from crying, or That's from, true. you know, feeling happy or any of our emotions. But they do die from stopping them down and eating or drinking or smoking or whatever it is they're doing. From. Yes. And by the way, from my point of view, there are no bad emotions. They're all just emotions. Right. And um, people who hold back their sadness and don't cry are being self-destructive for themselves. We're supposed to cry when we're sad. That's right. And we can learn from our sadness. That's absolutely right. But a lot of people, for some reason, aren't willing to do it or aren't sophisticated enough to do it or are afraid of it or all of the above. I think there's a lot of fear where our emotions are concerned. I think that as a society we've kind of been told to you know, put on the happy face and just go on and, and yes. stuff up, whatever you're feeling. 
Yes, just to be to be numbed for, numbed with your feelings, which is terrible. Yes, it is. Yes, it's very bad. Yes. So, um, then another question you have here is, why did you write this book? Because you've written other books, right? Yes, I've, this is my fifth book, and this one is specifically about and for you know children to help children. And I think that when the childhood obesity rate started rising, you know, I mean. Some people are saying that it tripled in the past 30 years, and that's that's a lot. Yes. And when it started rising like that, I guess I kind of got angry, you know, because I was an overweight child, and I just didn't want other children to go through what I did. Yeah. What age were you born? What? What age were you born? Uh, what? At, what? How old were? How old were you when you were born? Your birthday. What's your birthday? Um. It's it's September 16, 1965. Okay, the reason I ask because I I, I was I born I was born in uh, 1944, uh-huh. and and I remember as a kid, you know, when I was uh, at least by the time I was seven or eight, I was aware of people a lot, and uh, there were some people who were overweight, but it didn't seem to be a lot. Right. But sometime somewhere around the 60s, it wasn't it wasn't in the 50s, but sometimes somewhere around the 60s, the same people in general, at least in the, in the U.S. We're getting heavier, and every decade after that, it seemed to get heavier and heavier and heavier. That's right. So I'm wondering what happened, why uh, a lot of people started getting heavier in the 60s, but not necessarily in the 40s. Why is that, do you think? My theory about that is that um, in the 50s, this was like a great time when things that weren't available were more available. People had disposable income around that time, and in general, lives got more comfortable. You know, we we started to have television, we started to have um, appliances that were, made our lives easier, and I think that having enough food and then almost having too much, if you think about it, in the 60s and the 70s, those are the kids of the parents who would have had all these conveniences, so it was almost like, let's just get as much as we can and show how, you know, how much we have. Yeah, and then also in the 50s, there weren't jack-in-the-boxes, there weren't Carl's Jr. and all that stuff. Right. So when, when those came around, it was very easy for parents to give their kids a quick, unhealthy food item. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, another question you pose, what do you think is the biggest problem facing overweight children today? I think it's the attitude that is so present in our society that we have to use food to have fun, that we have to use food to celebrate, that we have to use food to feel better. Yes. Um, that, I think, is the biggest obstacle for every overweight person, whether uh-huh. they're a child or not. Yeah. So when I'm hungry enough, I want to eat food, and a lot of the food I eat, I like eating, Mm-hmm. But um, I, I made well. Let me back up. So when I was 14 years old, uh, I wanted to be a baseball player in high school, but I got cut from the team. Mm-hmm. So then I decided I was going to become a runner. Not that I was good at the time, but I wanted to be something, and I decided to be a runner. And then I decided to start eating more healthy, mm-hmm. which was very. Um, primitive at the time, but I still did it. 
And so I got to like the idea of being really healthy and fit and being able to run and get better and better and better. So for me, the food was a nice um, help, but it wasn't that big a deal, really. Right. Yeah. And in my family, it was just the opposite. Food was how love was shown. Food was how they tried to make us feel better. Yes. And it was never associated with anything. I mean, even our salad was drenched in oil, and there was nothing. There yeah. was nothing healthy about what we did. Yes. Yeah. And I think part of that is that my grandparents, and and even my father, they came from very poor families who sometimes didn't have enough food. Yes. And I I don't think they're alone. I think that that's one of the things that happens in societies that you know. During the war years and during the depressions and stuff, you know, our grandparents and our parents, and they didn't have enough food. So when they had enough food, it was almost like, here's all this food, now let's eat it and show how, you know, safe we are and how happy and how whatever else. Yes. So some people, well, especially if they're literally starving, when they can have food, they want to eat as much as possible because they never know when they'll have enough food again. Right, and I think we still have that mentality even though we do have enough food. Yeah. I think that it's passed down even though there's, you know, food all over the place now, for the most part. I mean, not everyone, but... Yes. And then, um, also speaking of food, one can uh, eat very economically and have, you know, brown rice and beans and a vegetable of some sort, mm-hmm. and that's very healthy. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, it seems too primitive or too um, too bland or too something or other. Well, our taste buds are trained from almost when we're born. You know, in baby food, they even put sugar. And so our taste buds are trained for sweetness. And yes. for, you know, it takes a lot to kind of get out of that cycle. And to... Yes. I don't know if you're aware of this, but... Um... Back in the 50s or so, maybe even earlier, when um, anthropologists would go to these faraway places you know, for people who were very primitive, and the uh, Caucasian um, anthropologists would give these people candy mm-hmm. or just pure sugar, and, the, and, they, and those people would go nuts. They'd love the sugar. Mm-hmm. But for thousands of years, they never had it, and they were just fine without it. Right. Well, in in my first book, which is called Why Can't I Stop Eating? Yeah. I talk about how there have been many studies done where they they prove that, you know, animals prefer sweetness and, you know, humans do too. And it's just a cycle that has been really perpetuated in our society. Yeah. So for my dogs, I have two lovely dogs. They don't eat uh, fruit. I I don't give them fruit. Well, on a rare occasion, I give them a teeny bit of watermelon, but that's about it. But about what I'm getting at is, um, for for me, eating a nectarine is exquisitely pleasurable, mm-hmm. but it's not all that high in sugar. Right, and if it is, it's it's a different sort of sugar. It's a natural fruit sugar where it's not a manufactured. Yeah, and there's a lot of water and pulp in it too. So right. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So it seems so simple for someone like me to do what I do, but it seems so simple for someone who's overweight to do what they do. Well, I think part of it is because there's so much involved with the emotions of, you know, that this sweet thing or that sweet thing is going to make me feel better and I have to have it and it's yeah. going to calm me down. And Well, it does make them feel better for the moment. Mm-hmm. But after the moment's up, it's downhill. And it creates... If, and if there is someone who does have that physical addiction like I do, then you've created a vicious cycle because you eat it, you want more, and then you eat it because you want more, and then it just keeps going around and around and around. Yeah. So some people, in recent times at least, who are overweight, have decided that they're going to uh, quit eating sugar. Right. And they, they might be eating other junk food, but at least they say they're going to quit eating sugar. And if they stay with it long enough, within a, a month or so, they no longer crave the sugar. Absolutely. That's what I did. I don't have, um, sugar has to be fifth or higher on the list of ingredients. I don't have processed sugar, and I haven't in 20, almost 24 years. Yeah, I haven't in uh, almost 60 years. That's fantastic. And it really does change how your body reacts. Yeah. Um. And, and I think that whole idea of I don't crave sugar ever. And I used to, I mean, as soon as I had the craving, it was in my mouth. And because I took it out of my system, I don't crave it anymore. Yeah. So you mentioned five things above sugar that you would eat. What are no, those? It's the list of ingredients. It can't be, it has to be fifth on the list of ingredients of whatever it is I'm eating so that it won't affect me because there won't be enough in it. So give me an example of what you mean. Um, well, if it were, say, um, trying to think, most of the stuff I eat is just like peas or, you know, it's like, um, yeah. well, if it were some sort of a packaged food and the first ingredient was chicken and the second was, um, I don't know, vegetables, you know, carrots and then peas and then if sugar was number five, then it would be okay for me. And then you could have some sugar? Because it's not, there's not enough in it to affect me. If you have a small amount of it. Right. In it, like a cereal. You know how a cereal... I, um, I eat a cereal that the seven grains are the first seven ingredients. I see. And then I think sugar is the eighth ingredient. And so it's not, there's not enough in there that's going to trigger anything in me. I get you. Now, yeah. a couple of moments ago, you mentioned that you might have uh, some packaged uh, food. Like uh, maybe... Uh, uh, frozen food. Do you ever eat frozen food? No, I don't, actually. I, I mentioned that as an example. I actually, um, the only frozen food I have is when I've cooked it, because I, I weigh and measure everything that I eat. Uh-huh. And so the only frozen food I do is when I've weighed and measured it and then cooked it and then frozen it so I can have it at another time. I see, yeah. So do you normally um, freeze your food, or do you just normally cook it and eat it and then and you, you bypass the freezer? Normally, just cook it and eat it, but I like to have something in case, you know, I'm running really late or I have, you know, if I got sick, it would just be easier to pull it out. So I have something like on reserve in the freezer. Yes. So in your current state of awareness, do you you eat bread? No. So do you avoid gluten-free foods? Um, I don't, gluten isn't an issue for me either way. I just don't eat bread because of the flour. Sugar and flour are very addictive for me. Yeah, because I know for some people, um, when they start going gluten-free, 
they normally lose about 10 pounds just right off the bat. Hmm. I mean, not in a minute, but, you know, in a month or two. Right, yeah. Which is kind of interesting, but, I, I, but I've always, the way I've heard it, it's like this 10-pound rule. So whether you're 200 pounds overweight or 20 pounds overweight, you lose about 10 pounds just being gluten-free. Hmm. I don't know if that's actually accurate or not. No, I don't either. I'm, I'm not very familiar with gluten-free eating. Yeah. I've been gluten-free for about a year. Oh, wow. And I haven't really noticed any huge changes, but uh, it actually has helped me in some, in some ways because I have a, uh, a cough that's related to uh, uh, being, uh, having allergies and some asthma. So uh, the gluten-free thing has helped me quite a bit. Oh, that's fantastic. But that may not be um, um, uh, something to deal with if you're just overweight and not, yeah. Right. You want to just start with what the the main problem is, and so if yeah, you know, if it's emotional, then you start there. If it's physical, then you look at those sorts of things. It, yeah. And the only way you really know that is if you do start to write or you start to think about what it is um you know you're doing and what's happening in your life. Yes. Yeah. So um, we're coming up for uh, the second and last commercial for today. Okay. So we'll take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk more about what what we've been talking about. Sounds good. Okay. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield, Total Access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's toll free 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Debbie Danowski. If you, by the way, if you want to go to her website, it's Debbie, D-E-B-B-I-E, Danowski, D-A-N-O-W-S-K-I.com. So, Debbie Danowski.com. 
So, Debbie, we're talking about um, overeating and being way too heavy and all that. And uh, during the break, during the last commercial break, you were talking about uh, one problem that parents have is if their child is uh, eating healthy at some party where everybody else is scarfing up lots of ice cream and cake, then their child would be ostracized if they... um, if they didn't eat the cake and the ice cream also. Right. There's One of the things that I do in, in my book is that I list 10 reasons why parents can't control their children's overeating. And one of, one of the big ones is that they're worried if they go to, you know, the birthday party and there's cupcakes and the kid doesn't eat like the other ones, then what, you know, what, what will people think? And Yes, exactly. You kind of have to put that aside because it doesn't matter what people think. If your kid is overweight and going to, you know, have a horrible life, then you have to kind of learn to deal with that. And That's and, very hard. And th- a similar thing happens with adults who uh, are at a party and they keep, um, the, the guests keep giving them more and more wine and they really don't want to have more wine, but they feel uncomfortable if they don't have the wine. The whole thing is crazy. Yes, it is. It's like a, it's almost a pressure that's unspoken, but yes. you, know, you don't want to not have like, oh, I spent hours cooking this, so you have to eat it. Well, no, you don't. Yeah. But it's hard, harder to say no. Yeah. For me, it was never that hard because I, I'm not sure how it happened, but as a young boy, I was really clear about what I wanted and what I didn't want. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that problem. But I meant, I know I would see kids who did have the problem and I, didn't know what to do to help them, but I felt sorry for them. Right. Yeah, no, I can... Well, and I think that as a parent, it's it's not always easy to say no to your child when they want something, but you can't, You have to. I mean, you have to be strong because it's really their life that you're talking about. Yeah. But for the kid at a birthday party who can't have the cake and the ice cream, it, I can imagine it's really torture. It could be, but I think it's up to the parent to make it okay, you know. How do, well, okay, so how, how would you imagine a, ch- a parent could help the child feel okay about not eating the junk food? Kind of de-emphasize the importance. Like, oh, many, many parents will unwillingly just, you know, kind of say, oh, you know, we're going to get this cake and it'll be cake time and, and make a big deal about the food. Yes. And so I think the first step is just to not make a big deal about the food. You know, a lot of times, I think that, and I, well, I don't know if it's a lot of times, but many times children are trying to please their parents, and if the parents are making a big deal about the cake and how good it's going to be, yes. they may just eat it just because their parents are making a big deal. Yeah, that's true. So another um, part of this is I can imagine a parent having a birthday party for their kid and all the other kids are coming, and the parents make it very healthy. And uh, the majority of kids would be complaining that they're not getting uh, marshmallows and ice cream and cake instead of yummy fruit. Maybe, but I think if you make it an interesting enough party, then, again, de-emphasize the food part of it. Oh, I agree, yeah. You know, there's other things, and I think that we, it's it's kind of an easy way out, is let's just get as much junk food as we can and everybody will be happy, but... It's a little yeah. harder to think of other activities to do. Yeah. So what's your guesstimate, if you have any, as to what percentage 
of the population, adults and or kids, um, actually eat healthy or conversely eat unhealthy? What's your guess? My guess as far as, you mean on a consistent basis, right? Yeah, eating the junk food and the sugar stuff. Yeah, because I, I think that a lot of people will eat healthy for, you know, a few days, a couple weeks, and then go right yeah. back to their habits. So my guess is that the number is pretty high. I mean, with the obesity rate being as high as it is, I would guess that it's probably up there between, you know, 75 80% is probably a conservative. Oh, that's, you know, that's exactly what I thought, 80%. Yeah. yeah. That's pathetic. It is. It really is. And so um, if somehow, this is all hypothetical, if somehow all of a sudden there was no sugar available for two months, we, we couldn't buy sugar, we couldn't get sugar in a coffee or whatever, all these people for two months wouldn't have any sugar and then they wouldn't be craving the sugar. Right, but there'd but be a withdrawal period. If they got the sugar, too. they'd probably start craving, they'd probably start using it again. Right, and there would be a withdrawal period, too, because I, I definitely went through a withdrawal period where the cravings almost get worse, and I think that's why people give up so quickly. Yes. Because you have to hang in there. You know, it takes 21 days for it to get out of your system, and you have to hang in there. Yes. So what I've done, I, I do this with people, uh, whether they're heavy or not. When I have people over for dinner for desserts and stuff, I, get, I give them stuff that's very healthy, like I'll give, give them a, ri- a rice cake, and then I'll put some um, uh, coconut fat on top of it, which is super healthy, mm-hmm. and then I put on some yogurt, and then I put on some fruit, and then I, on top of all that, I put a big leaf of, um, of not lettuce, but um, of cabbage, and then they, oh, and with plenty of um, cinnamon on it, and it's really super yummy. Mm-hmm. And it really tastes good, and it's not, that's not all that sugary at all. There are a the lot of ways to make food taste yeah. good and to make healthy food. You know, it doesn't just have to be like steamed broccoli. There are many other things besides that. It just takes a little work and a little creativity. Yes. So maybe one of your books should be a cookbook. <laughs> Have you thought of that? There you go. I actually had thought of a cookbook based on the food plan that was in my first, my first book. Yeah. I had gotten so many requests about, I put a few recipes in there and everyone wanted more. Yeah. So maybe you could do that. Yeah, there you go. But actually, um, what I do, I'm just very um, creative about how I eat different kinds of foods together. Mm-hmm. And so I don't even need a cookbook. I just kind of wing it and it's fun and... Most of the food, well, most of the vegetables I eat are raw, and uh, it's really yummy. So maybe there's a way you could um, promote that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what else should we should we talk about before we end? We have about, uh, I'm guessing, about six minutes left, seven minutes left. Anything else you... Yes, I think that one of the things that I'd like to say to any parents who do have overweight children who are listening is that um, it's important to go slowly with the changes that you make because if you do drastic changes all at once, then your child will get confused and get angry and become rebellious. You're right. It has to be actually very mildly changing, but continually changing like a, you know, a steady drip. Right. And, and consistency is very, very important. Don't, you know, just 
make a change, do it for a few days, and then stop, because sometimes it takes a long time for these things to work. Yes. But so the, ideally, the overweight parent would lose weight as the, as the overweight child would. Right. I mean, in, in an ideal world, the parent would take all the unhealthy food out of the house Yes. And then just offer the child, you know, don't tell the child you have to eat this, but say these are your choices and they'd all be healthy choices. Yes. And I think that would really go a long way in changing things because, you know, and, and maybe that child, if it's an older child, like a teenager, could go out and get food elsewhere, but at least you're setting an example and making a start. Yes. So as you're saying this, I'm thinking out loud with you. What if you were to... Uh, get on this, um, what's the term? Uh, get on this term, uh, I'm, I'm blocking on the word, I can't think of it. But if you were to um, spend a, a significant amount of time letting people know about how they can lead a very healthy life and enjoy yummy food, and if you could promote it, it could be you or maybe you'd have a, a big staff of people and this could be promoted throughout the United States. Is that too grandiose or what? No, I'd love that. I would really love for... That would be so exciting for you to do that. Yeah, and, for, and to help all the, you know... I would be your number one uh, fan. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I, I have other things I want to promote, but I don't, I don't have the time for that one. But that would be so great, and that would be so worthwhile. Well, I've tried. Five books are all about overeating, so I'm, I'm doing my part. <laughs> yeah, but, some, but I'm saying where you would... Find people in different states and different cities who like your idea, and then you get this thing rolling. And, it's, and after a while, it's it's um it's like a snowball falling down, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what I would. I'm hoping for. Um... And you get more and more people who are t- who are getting into this idea of let's eat healthy, screw having so much sugar, and let's really just have a really healthy life, live as long as we can and enjoy our life with yummy food. Right, and, and know that it's okay to, you know, to say no. If, if your child wants to, you know, go somewhere that has unhealthy food, you can offer an alternative and to yes. make an attempt to fill your house with healthy food and to make it so that it tastes good. Yes. Because one of the things that you find is that a lot of the healthy foods don't have good public relations or advertising. You know, it's kind of like the dessert is what gets all the attention. And that means that we've made certain foods more privileged than others. Right. And it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, you could take an apple and bake it, put a little cinnamon on it, and it's great. Yeah, I, well, actually, it's, I, it's, I put a lot of stuff on cinnamon. I mean, I put cinnamon on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, when you go to Costco, they have those big uh, containers of cinnamon. Yes. I go, I go through one of those in three months. Wow. I put it in a lot of things, and it's really yummy. Yeah, and it's, it's healthy, and it, it makes everything taste really... It's just a matter of being a little creative. Yes. So tell me again the, the name of your uh, classes you teach. Um, I actually teach a lot of different classes, but I, I teach a class on food advertising. Yeah. I teach a class on alcohol advertising. Yeah. Advertising in public relations. Um, and I do teach journalism and freelance writing classes. Okay. So, so with, for example, with the food and alcohol, you could um, 
perhaps start this swell of awareness that would uh, maybe include 200 million people. Mm-hmm. And that's very grandiose at the moment, but you actually could start something like that, and it would be consistent with what you teach. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. think that I, I really enjoy seeing in my classes the students have the awareness of what exactly advertisers are saying to them. Yes. Because we analyze ads in in you know in our classes, and it's amazing. By the end, some of them are pretty angry about what they've been told all their lives. Yes. So um, in the last few minutes of our time together, I'm all hyped up for you to do this kind of thing. Oh, on huge, absolutely. On a huge scale. And I would be happy to help you in any way I could. Oh, thank you. I mean, this is really exciting. Yes, it is, absolutely, because it, w- it would help so many people. Oh, my God, yes. And it would save so many... It would save people so many medical bills, too. Yeah, and save lives. And lives, yes. I mean, there's so many uh, good points to have all these things, you know, put out to people to know about. Absolutely. Well, and I think even just the fact that people are listening and now they're going to start to think about what what am I being told and what do I think about food, that's such a big step. Yes. I agree. So in the, in the minute or two we have left, what do you want to be sure you end with, if anything in particular? That um, if you need to make changes in the way that you eat to be consistent and to start to make small changes, because it is possible, it's absolutely possible to make a better life for yourself and your child. Yes. And I would add for these people to find other people who are like-minded with them and they can all share their stories together. Absolutely. And when they share their stories together, there's more cohesion, there's more resources for each other, and uh, it's just going to make people much happier. Yes, and I actually do a blog uh, at least once a week on my publisher's website, Central Recovery Press, uh-huh. and uh, people can respond, and, and that you know is a way for people to connect with each other as so well. So how can they know about your blog? Um, CentralRecoveryPress.com. Central Recovery Press. Press.com. Yes, and then there's a section that says blogs, and, and mine is right there. I see, so you have, you have a particular blog. And what's yes. the name of your blog? Um, it's just the name of the book, Why Can't I Stop? Why Can't My Child Stop Eating? Okay. So I think we're getting near to the end. Is that the case? Okay. So um, I want to thank you so much, Debbie Donowski, for being with me on my show today. And I want to stay in touch with you and see the progress you make and how I can help you. And it's been a pleasure having you as my guest. Thank Thank you so much. much. I really appreciate it. I'm very excited. Okay, we'll talk more later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So, everybody, that's the show for today. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope you uh, eat healthy and avoid all this crummy sugar. And I'll see you next time. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 